As the racing season winds down, the separation season begins. Now, when I say separation season, I don't mean the season to separate yourself from racing, although that's exactly what many of your competitors are doing. And that provides an opportunity for you to separate from the pack. Within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, we focus on growth year-round, but the gains, they're, they're small, they're incremental during race season for two reasons. Number one, because your attention as a racer is split, right? You've got upkeep, maintenance, travel, all the things involved with the racing season, in addition to a focus on your own growth. And because other racers are working hard at that time too. It's this time of year, this separation season, where putting in the work can really allow you a leg up on the competition. If you're serious about doing just that, and you'd like to surround yourself with a group of knowledgeable trainers and accountable peers with the tools, the resources, the wisdom to help you take that next step, and perhaps even with the occasional kick in the pants to keep you on track, this is Bracket Racing Elite is the answer. We've helped thousands of racers just like you take the next step toward becoming the best version of themselves on the racetrack. Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite. Today's podcast is presented in part by Portatree. Hopefully many of you participated in the off-season practice tree challenge. Portatree's support of the challenge has been tremendous, and they are the go-to for all of your practice tree needs. In addition, today's podcast is presented by This Is Bracket Racing Elite. If you're ready to take your game to the next level, who better to lead the way than our own Luke Bogacki? Check out This Is Bracket Racing Elite today. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. I'm Big Jed, Jared Pennington. He's Cool Hand Luke Bogacki. If you're a regular listener, thank you for your patronage. If you're new, you'll probably catch on soon enough. Our goal is to shed some light on the events, news, and issues in Sportsman Drag Racing and the stars within it. This week on What Everyone is Talking About. It's that time of year, Big Jed, at least in the South, all across the South. Mm -hmm. It's it's racing season. We had big events from basically coast to coast last weekend. Where do you want to start? Well, shoot, Luke. And obviously the highest level was the the national event in Phoenix. And I'm sure you looked at some results there and we won't cover them all. But did you happen to check out the results, see anything that piqued your interest? Yeah, like you mentioned, like we're not really trying to get away from the results model of the show, but some stuff that stood out to me from Phoenix. Jody Lang got the win in Stock Eliminator, and it was a near double for him. I believe he got to the semifinals of Superstock. Pretty cool. Yeah. Where he fell in Superstock, actually, I believe he lost to Mike Cotton in the semis. Cotton ended up falling in the final to Justin Lamb, friend of the podcast. 
uh, oh, yeah. defending, reigning NHRA Superstock World Champion, kicked off his uh, 2018 season in grand fashion. So congrats to Baby J. And the only other thing that really jumped out to me from Phoenix, and again, I know we're excluding some winners along the way, that's fine. But what got my attention, and I don't know that this is like a national story, but Trevor Harkema got his first national event win in Supercomp. And I, I know that's a name that we have mentioned on the podcast yeah. in the past, in my opinion, is one of the really underappreciated racers from the West Coast, really across the country. Like that dude wins a bunch in a lot of various forms, super comp, bracket racing, whatever. And I felt like, like I don't have the box score in front of me, but it seems like that was his talent was on display in Phoenix. It seems like he might've had one round where he was not awesome on the tree, but for the most part, if I remember correctly, it was like 13 or better and just kind of weaved his way through the field. So impressive in that first national event win for Trevor. Yeah, and I feel like we've mentioned Trevor's name so much and I've seen it so much that I was actually shocked. I saw in the show notes that it was his first national and super comp and it just kind of took me by surprise. I was like, no, we, we need to check that. This guy's won a few of those, but congrats to him. He's definitely well-known and a tremendous talent on the racetrack and uh, I'm sure this is the first of many. But Luke, you know, obviously last year we had early in the year, we talked about Emmons getting DQ'd for excessive braking, and we all what? had our opinions. No. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think you remember that. Was that a thing? We all had our opinions, and it was something that I think most people, I don't know if most people sided with Jerry, but I'm not sure it was warranted for what he got, but it happened again this weekend. Did, did you happen to catch any of that? Well, Jed, it happens every weekend. Just about, I mean, maybe not at the NHRA national event level. It, to your point, it didn't happen because nothing was, nothing came of it. Nobody got disqualified. <laughs> yeah, good point. So if, if, if a tree falls in the forest, right? The run that you're referencing, it was a super stock round. I believe it was RJ Torres against one of the Irvings, the John Irving. I think it was the, the younger Irving. And it was Irving that locked up the brakes, going through the finish line, smoked the tires. The, the video looks awful in terms of smoke. Like it really wasn't a dramatic loss of control, but obviously most of us would agree that that's not the safest approach at 120 plus miles an hour or whatever he's going. I think it was, it was a slower super stock car, but still way too fast to be locking up the brakes. But the point or the takeaway from the story to me isn't that brakes were locked up like that happens at bracket races all across the country of various forms every week. And we can debate like how stupid is not the word that I want to use, like how unsafe that is, right? And I'm not here to get back into that discussion. What I'm interested in and what I think the story is, is NHRA's policing of it. And I saw a post somewhere, and Mark brought it to our attention pre-show, that a warning was issued. So, like, this was apparently the first offense, which warranted a warning. And But obviously the issue here is when you watch this, this looks much more erroneous, maybe the word that I'm looking for, much more dramatic, much more excessive than mm -hmm. what Emmons was disqualified for. Obviously, in Emmons' case, there was a prior history. Warnings had been issued. This, in general, this is the problem with trying to enforce this rule, if you're going to enforce this rule. And really, as we discussed on that show, the crux of the rule is that if you break excessively and hit something, cross the center line, hit a guardrail, hit the other car, then it's grounds for disqualification. Beyond that is very, very gray. But yeah. 
with that in mind, how do you disqualify Jerry Emmons, not to disqualify Mr. Irving? Like, and again, there's precedence involved. That's the whole problem with trying to enforce this rule, though. That's what I'm getting at, is it's inherently, if you're going to try to enforce this, you're trying to enforce intent, basically. And it's just such selective prosecution. Like, even if you had a, a line judge, so to speak, at the finish line, it's still selective prosecution. You know what I mean? Like, I oh, don't yeah. know how you could go about enforcing this. And, and since it's been enforced once seemingly randomly then anytime you see something like this everybody's going to be up in arms and say well why did emmons get disqualified and this guy doesn't and that's just you open pandora's box by doing that a year ago and this isn't going to go away yeah very subjective and uh, just kind of how you feel or how the official feels about what they saw and not a clear-cut rule which always will lead to some controversy and you know i guess uh Fortunately for John Irving, uh, nobody was hurt either. Uh, that that could have turned out really bad. And Emmons didn't look near as bad. I'm not picking on John. It is what it is. But right. Emmons certainly didn't look nearly as bad. So, Luke, that wrapped up the, our Phoenix talk. But there was a Division Two kickoff, Lucas Oil Divisional in uh, Orlando that uh, had some, I guess, normal suspects in the winner's circle. Yeah, that's where KB was when I was talking to you last week, right? That's exactly right. KB, <laughs> KB worked hard that weekend. Yeah, that week. unfortunately, it didn't look like his weekend got a lot better from the time that he talked to you. No. That's part of living the life. What stood out to you from Orlando? Anything in particular? Well, I, obviously, Rambo, David Rampey, getting started, getting his year started with a comp win, trying to... Um, Friend of the podcast, just, podcast yes. bump. Right? Yes. I think that's uh, first event of 2018, podcast bump, pulling him through. Yeah, we def- definitely helped. I'm sure his uh, high talent Good level was a, was a factor there as well. But uh, hey, Rambo hey, obviously hey, defending hey. his title. Credit where and, credit is due. <laughs> that was a really good start for him. And um, What about that final, too? That was uh, that was 1-2 from last year, Rambo against Frankie Aragona. Yeah, Frank I would Aragona. spend a lot of time on comp on the podcast, but clash of the Titans that looked like it lived up to everything. Like I wasn't there. I haven't talked to either one of those guys, but there was just looking at the mile per hours in the final. There was some cat and mouse going on at the finish line there and some index protection. And I just, again, this is purely speculation, but it looked like Aragona basically gave that back like seventh out. And yeah. I would assume that Frankie, this is a little bit high level because this is not a bracket race. Like you cannot lose comp if you get there first in the moment, but you can lose long-term by getting there first. I would assume looking at that, that Frankie stuck a wheel out in front and expected Rampy to drop. And either Rampy didn't or didn't drop quite as hard as Frankie expected him to. Like, there's more that goes into comp than meets the eye. And and this was yes. an interesting one for me. I would like to get the complete story there. But regardless, the result is one and two, at least at this point, kind of holding serve from 2017 into 2018. Rampy gets the nod over Aragon. And we'll see what the rest of the season brings from here. Yeah, we'd need a whole show to explain comp to anybody that doesn't <laughs> understand it. That is a very difficult class to understand. But And at the um, end of that hour, they would probably just be more confused. <laughs> like you said, and I thought the same thing when you looked at it, looked at the way they qualified versus the way that final round looked. It definitely looked like both of them were protecting some index. But we'll move on to uh, Superstock, where this guy just 
gets it done, Luke. I mean, it doesn't matter if it's a bracket race, super stock, or whatever else he's doing. Uh, Anthony Bertozzi. Anthony Bertozzi, just uh, an absolute dominant racer in whatever category he's in. He gets it done again in super stock and drove really well. I looked at the results, looked at his round by round. He put on another clinic. Yeah, that's a shocker, right? AB (laughs) drives well. Matt Weston's jumped out to me. Got the win in Super Street, defending his championship from a year ago. So he, over the winter, stayed red hot. Congrats to Matt. And a quick shout out, friend of the podcast, was not a winner in Top Dragster, but our boy DW, Danny Waters Jr., again, friend of the podcast, made the announcement over the winter. He's making the switch from the 890 category into the Top Dragster ranks and almost made that a triumphant return to the class or maybe a first in the class for NHRA. I know DW's run some IHRA Top Dragster. Uh, Almost pulled it off, drove his motor engineering back, uh, hot rod to a runner-up finish in TD. So shout out to DW. Yeah, and speaking of TD, I want to back up to Phoenix real quick because I feel like it had Team Luke won uh, Top Dragster. It would have somehow made it into the show notes, but Team Jed oh. and, and Paul Nero got the win there. So uh, just want to back back up real quick make sure everybody knew that Team Jed got a win there. So Yeah, you know, and actually I'm pretty sure – I talked about Justin Lamb. I'm pretty sure that was Team Kevin. Oh, my goodness, it was. I did have – Jody Lang on Team Luke, but I think it's in the wrong class as it pertains to this week. I'm pretty sure yeah, Jody he, was on my super stock team, not my stock. Yeah, he was on your super stock team. I got a semi. I got some, I had some precious points. That's not a, a bad a start. Five loss. That's a good jump. Go Jody. Not, not a bad start. So Luke, that covers the the little bit of results there about uh, what everybody's talking about. But that's friend not of all. the show. No, yeah. friend of the show Sherman Adcock was on um, just uh, what three episodes or so ago. And he told us off air, I can't remember if he said anything on air, but they, he and um, David Tatum were working on trying to put a deal together. And they were in the finishing touches of that for the 2018 season. I think you, uh, I think you know that that has officially happened now. Yeah, I saw the uh, press release on DragRacers.com. I believe they inked a sponsorship deal with FireAid, fire suppression. I think I believe it's environmentally friendly fire suppression systems. FireAid, no stranger to most of us that follow the sport. You see their logos on a handful of different cars. It seems like they're fairly popular in pro stock. But happy for Sherman Tatum to sign another major deal. It seems like they always come up with something to help them, and and that is fitting because. I can't really think of two better guys to represent your brand or your product than Sherman Adcock Jr. and David Tatum. So congrats to those guys. Excited for them. That'll be a three-car deal with uh, both Supergas cars. That's uh, what Sherman's Firebird Roadster and Tatum's S10 truck, as well as Sherman's Supercomp Dragster. As we get some more details on that, we may share them in a later episode, but wanted to note that those guys were able to land that deal and will be representing fire aid at least throughout the 2018 season yeah great to see those guys uh, get some support to go out and and chase the the nhra title again and i'm certainly happy to see a a company as large as fire aid believing in sportsman racers and, and giving those guys an opportunity to get out there and chase the dream so 
yeah, uh, really a good great, partnership and looking forward to seeing how it plays out. That's a great point. It's a big deal for Sherman Tatum. It's a good thing for all of us to see companies like that supporting sportsman racing. So, Big Jed, we touched on Phoenix. That's at one end of the country. We touched on Orlando. That's at the other end of the country. But there was a bigger event in terms of money, a little bit in between. And that's where we go for this week's Seabird Performance, Who's Hot? I want to thank everybody for tuning in to make sure that you're the first to know when next week's episode is available. Subscribe. And, and, and you can do that on Google Play. You can do that on iTunes. You can do that wherever you are accessing uh, our show today. Just subscribe. That way that you know that you have got the latest uh, edition of the podcast. You'll be the first to know. And do us a favor. Tell your friends about the podcast. Get your track involved by broadcasting portions of the Sportsman Drag Racing podcast over the PA on race day. want to make it in a song to do the Justin Lamb. Win a bunch of races and you do it with the fam. You do to Kevin Brandon, lay the smack across the land. Honey. Where are we racing next week? It's time to discuss next week's major events, news, updates, releases, and announcements. It's What's on Tap! Alright guys, big, big news. As we talked to you last week, we told you about the folks at AHRA. There's bonus money for AHRA members to win if you are racing in the Firecracker Big Money Bracket Race at Byron Dragway on July the 7th. If you're in the electronics category and you win, and you're an AHRA member, you're going to get a $1,250 bonus from the great folks at AHRA. If you're in a no-box category, and you're an automatic equipped car, and you're an AHRA member and you win, you get $2,500 from the folks at AHRA. And if you're swapping gears in a manual equipped car, and you win, I guess, any category, you are going to get $5,000 from the folks at AHRA if you are the last racer standing. So great bonus money from the folks at AHRA, but you got to be a member. Make sure you look them up and join their program. Can I get a call out for Zazco? Like Brad Zazkowski, go to Byron. You can do it. <laughs> go win that thing, banging gears, doing wheelies. And get the hundred grand or whatever, and then another five grand from HRA, right? Like I just, I know there's plenty of good stick shift racers out there that would get the yep. full benefit of that. Zasco is the one that comes to mind. Like, dude, go do it. You can do it. Yeah, or Kevin Helms. Oh yeah, I guess he could do it too. Yeah. <laughs> so look, we've got some big races coming up uh, this weekend. We're starting to get into those weekends where there's multiple events, and this is the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast is starting to feel useful again. So yeah, what's, south uh, of what's on the Mason Dixon line? It's on. Like, where is the Mason Dixon line? Do you have any idea? I think it's like around Virginia. Um, is it like a real thing? You know, like on the map or? You know, that's a really good question. Yeah. I should know the answer to that, but I think it's somewhere around the Virginia, uh, North Carolina, Tennessee border right in there. Okay, if you're under that, like chances are <laughs> you got a race you could go to this weekend. Oh, yeah. NHRA continues in Division 7 and kicks off in Division 4. Division 7, Lucas Oil Series event in Phoenix following the national event. Division 4 kicks off in Belrose, I believe. Plus, there are at least a trio of big dollar bracket races throughout the South this weekend, correct? Oh, yeah, absolutely. There is the third bulb throwdown at Noble, Oklahoma. I think this is at least their second one of those. I think the first one was last year, but I can't remember. But it uh, looks like a great race for the bottom bulbers. 
the aforementioned Johnny Ezell is putting on the Arkansas Big Buck Nats at Prescott Raceway. That event, again, will be this coming weekend. And Luke, the Door Car Nationals, brought to you by uh, Artie Fulcher, will be at Huntsville Dragway in Huntsville, Alabama. And uh, I think that's a couple of eight-granders, if I remember correctly. So a lot of good racing on tap for the weekend. Well, good. We'll have something to talk about next week. A little less gas bagging, a little more talking about racing. That's always that's it's a big plus for our listeners. Plus, it makes it yes. a little bit easier on ourselves. So that's a no plus. Doubt. This is also Jed the portion of the show. Or in addition to previewing the upcoming events, we talk a little bit about what's going on within the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast. So this is my opportunity, Jed, Mark. And KB, because I know you're out there listening, for me to say thank you guys for uh, picking up the slack last week. It's an awesome episode. And I actually, like, we talked about this maybe back on, like, episode triple zero when we introduced ourselves, Jed. Like, what do we call it? The inferiority complex or something like that. Like, you, mm. you inherently, as a as a host of a show like this, you, you ask yourself, like, why on earth would anybody want to listen to me, right? <laughs> yes, uh, I do. It's, it's a constant battle for us, even 66 episodes in now. But having the opportunity opportunity to actually be removed from the show like i didn't have anything to do with production like i knew you guys were doing it but i didn't even know what you're talking about so on our way home from our vacation we took a little tour of texas had a blast i'm driving home i'm like i need to kill some time kids asleep in the back i think my wife's passed out in the passenger seat like i'll kick on the sportsman drag racing podcast and i just loved listening to two guys talk about racing like i see what our listeners like about it like You'd think a year and a half in, like I should have a pretty good idea, but it was cool to get that from that perspective because it's one thing to like re-listen to the podcast. And obviously when you listen to yourself talk, you just have a, A, it's not very interesting because I said it, like I don't want to hear it, you know, and I'd kind of know what you're going to say because I listened to it once. (laughs) But then like you inherently just become really self-critical and you think, oh my God, like what am I doing here? Like I, and I, it, it's good in a way because you, you kind of, you learn from it and you improve. Like I realize occasionally when I listen to myself that I try to use words that like, I don't really know what they mean, but I, like, I guess part of me wants to sound <laughs> smart. So I just mix them in there. And I'm like, that didn't even make sense when I listened to it. You know what I mean? It's awful. And I have a tendency like to you, you hear broadcasters talk about like what's the one thing that you had to learn and like you really had to learn to just slow down and when i listen to myself i'm like yeah dude like you get on this thought process and then you like get in the middle of a sentence and realize you don't really want to structure it that way so you just change and then the sentence doesn't make any sense like i realize that i do that i'm getting way off track down a rabbit hole here what i'm saying is it was really cool to listen to you guys not necessarily know what's coming and just enjoy listening to the show so i kind of get a sense of why our listeners like both of you that are out there listening why you like this show so it's cool thank you well you're welcome it, it was a different experience luckily uh, kb stepped in and helped us out and he brought a lot to the show it was very uh, entertaining to talk to and brought a lot of insight but just there's nothing like doing it with you luke you got a lot of insight and you call it gas bagging or whatever but when you talk you're uh, usually well you, you got a lot of knowledge of the subject you're talking about so it's fun to to get back to normal and have you on the show i listen to the show as well and uh, I felt like I was a train wreck, just just didn't flow right because you wasn't there. Again, KB saved the show. Thank you, KB. We appreciate you. But uh, my performance definitely was not a Hall of Fame performance. But 
there are wow some that that's a pro right there this is a transition that a segue you, guys, or what? you guys listen to this this is good Go ahead. <laughs> there, there are some Hall of Fame performances that have gone on for many, many years within our sport, but they're not recognized for being in the Hall of Fame because there is no Sportsman Drag Racing Hall of Fame. So, Luke, I'll credit you for the idea that we kind of come up with a template, if you will, to talk about people that should be in the Sportsman Drag Racing Hall of Fame. And again, this is just our opinion, and we're going to open this up for our listeners to talk about, but we want to keep it on track. We want to keep it within the categories that we list here coming up in just a little bit. But if there were a Sportsman Drag Racing Hall of Fame, this discussion is going to talk about some people that should be in it. And uh, again, listeners, be sure to hit us up on Facebook with your choices in these categories with this criteria and keep it uh, again on track and we look forward to hearing what you got to say but Luke what are the the categories that we're going to talk about if there were a sportsman drag racing hall of fame yeah let me back you up just a little bit because as per usual you're giving me way too much credit here this idea actually was brought to my attention by one of the two loyal listeners <laughs> this was brought up by brandon lundeen friend of the podcast buddy of mine from out in utah i think he sent me a text or email or something says uh, you know this would be a cool idea for the show and i love it and he actually brought this to my attention like I want to say back before Christmas, and we kind of tabled it and said, yes, we will discuss this. And then somewhere shortly thereafter, this was like a topic on Facebook on on uh, Jason Haley's page. What is it? Uh, Bracket Racing Tech? I know we've, dis- we've discussed that page before and Jason before on the show, and like we've stolen his ideas before, so I didn't really want to do that again. So trying to give that a little time to disperse, but at least this has been a topic that's not completely foreign to everyone. And I think, as you alluded to, we're going to approach it from a little bit different angle. And let's be super clear here. Like, I think this will be a really fun topic of conversation, and we're going to kind of throw out some of our thoughts. We'd like to follow back up on this obviously get some listener input and then probably have a guest at some time in the fairly near future that's maybe a little bit more of a racing historian than we are to share some more input and think of the people that we are not necessarily talking about or didn't come to our mind but yeah like i like this idea and let's be super clear here too like my goal in this is not to become the curator of the sportsman drag racing hall of fame like listen i love this stuff but like I got two or three jobs and a kid, like, I got enough going on, right? Like, I don't need to start the Hall of Fame. But I love the idea. And I'm not speaking for you, but I think you're busier than I am. So, but with that in mind, like, I think it's a really cool conversation. So, number one, if you think, and this is probably the most loaded question of all of them. There's a ton of loaded questions here that we're going to get added for, I'm sure. But maybe the most loaded is, if there was a Sportsman Drag Racing Hall of Fame, Big Jed, where would you put it? Well, you know, obviously, I've given this some thought as I've prepared for the show today, and I'm not 100% sure, but I feel like bracket racing kind of started in the the Northeast, so I would think somewhere in the general area of where it all began. I don't know that for a fact, but I think that's what I know. Am I on track here? 
I got no idea. That would actually be another podcast episode. Like, where did bracket racing start? Where was the first bracket race? Where was the first big money race? Like, I remember reading something that the first bracket race ever was actually held in, like, Fremont, California. But I don't know if that's accurate, or I don't even know if I'm dreaming that up. Um, But sure, Northeast, let's roll with it. I'm actually, like, (laughs) spoiler alert, shocked that Big Jed's Sports and Drag Racing Hall of Fame is not going to be in the state of Alabama. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I'm a bit of a homer, and that will come out in my list. But uh, for now, I don't think that Alabama deserves to to house the the Hall of Fame for Sportsman Drag Racing. So I would have figured. I felt like I've heard that it's happened around the Pennsylvania, Delaware area, New Jersey area up in there. So it yeah, could have like been your PA sticks in my mind as one of the hotbeds of early bracket racing. What was that like us 30 or something like that yeah. up there? Anyway. So, yeah. And I, I feel like, um, I've heard the first ET finals was in that area. So mm-hmm. I would have figured to be, I won't give a specific city, but I, I would think somewhere around, uh, where it began is a, is a good spot for it. Other than that, I would think somewhere like uh, Bowling Green or St. Louis would be a good spot for it. And I don't really have a reason why, but I just feel like those would be good spots. Just from central location, maybe, if nothing else. Now, yeah. I, I think this is such a loaded question because I think all of us tend to think back not necessarily to the birth of bracket racing, but like where we were introduced to it. So like in my mind, like the first instinct of me is it should be a Texas Raceway, right? That's where I grew up. Like that's where I was introduced to racing. And I think most people's first instinct is similar. I, I don't have a great answer for the, the perfect location. I think you could make an argument, as you said, if we could ever get a, a solid answer and determine like where was the first bracket race? Well, that's a natural site, right? For your Hall of Fame. But you think sportsman drag racing, like that encompasses a little bit more than bracket racing too. I don't know. Like, I think there could be an argument is it seems like the birth of big money racing, or at least one of the hotbeds of it originally was up at Byron Dragway in Byron, Illinois. Like, I Mm -hmm. think that'd be a logical spot for something like your Hall of Fame. And then I guess you'd bring it a little bit more to present day. But like the first million dollar race was at Huntsville. I'm okay with it being at Huntsville. The current million dollar race is at Montgomery. I wouldn't argue with it being at Montgomery. You know what I mean? Like you could spit out a, probably a dozen locations and I doubt yeah. that I would argue with any of them. So I don't, I feel like, you know, like I'm the host, we should have some kind of hot take here. I really don't like, I think the idea is cool. I don't much care where it's located. Yeah. And I, I think when you, if, when you start talking about where was the first bracket race, that's according to who you ask. Um, yeah. I Cause I, I think there's a few different opinions on that. Yeah, I tried to start a thread like on Facebook one day, like where was the first big dollar bracket race? And I got like 20 different answers. So, oh, yeah, with no consensus. So uh, it would be interesting to to be able to pin that down. But I don't even know how you would go about it. OK, moving on. So we, we didn't accomplish anything in the last five minutes. We still have no idea <laughs> where the Sportsman Drag Racing Hall of Fame should be located. But the, the way that we thought to structure this and keep in mind, like, I guess this has been brewing on the back burner for a couple of months, but like we've given this serious thought for less than 48 hours. So I'm sure we're missing something and you listeners will unquestionably bring it to our attention. But to open the discussion, here's kind of the, the criteria that we came up with. Like, okay, we've got this hall of fame in an unnamed location for sportsman drag racing. And we need to 
induct the inaugural class? Like who are the first ballot inductees? And to give this a little bit of structure, we broke it down like this. Like we are, let's say that we could induct eight Hall of Famers in this inaugural class. And to get a little bit more specific with it, we were going to induct one track owner, operator, or promoter, one member of the media that has done a lot for sportsman drag racing in some form, one member of the automotive aftermarket industry. And I almost just said one member of the industry, but technically I guess we are all part of the racing industry, more in terms of the automotive aftermarket, like a, an inventor of a specific product or a, a company that is given back a lot to the sport. Like you go a lot of different directions with that. So, okay, that's three. We've got a, a, a track owner, operator, a media member, a member of the automotive aftermarket industry, one at least, and you could have more than one, but one legend, uh, like a name from the past that... I, you hate to, to say this, but I, I think the, the stipulation for the legend, and I think the Basketball Hall of Fame has something like this, like it's from a specific era or older than a specific era. In our terms, let's just say somebody not from our generation, someone that is either no longer involved in the sport, like retired, or has, has passed on in general. So one legend, and then you've got four remaining spots that would just go to four racers could be past could be present like i don't have a a general stipulation like in my mind i ain't inducting anybody that's my age or younger like i don't necessarily have like a age in mind but i feel like you've got to been doing it for a long time and been successful over the course of decades so i I didn't put an age on it but like i i kevin brandon will like be a hall of famer one day i'm confident but like i ain't putting him in the first class right absolutely yeah that's uh that makes all the sense in the world and um you know, this you could go a thousand different ways with each of these, but you know, I'm looking forward to at least discussing uh, who I have on my list and, and hearing yours as well. All right, let's kick it off. One track owner, operator, or promoter. This to me seems obvious. I think I know where you're going, but who, who would be on your first ballot there? Before we get into that, I've caught myself saying it twice in the last few minutes. I say absolutely too much. I'm really trying to work on that, and my cousin Ricky has brought it to my attention. So, Ricky, I apologize again for saying absolutely. I'm going to correct this. So, moving forward. My track owner, operator, promoter, again, here goes Homer, okay? Um, guys from Alabama, I feel like he Uh, made what we're seeing today happen in bracket racing, the big dollar events. He was an innovator, a guy that took a lot of gambles and just did it his way, George Howard. Yeah, I think... He's my guy. Hard to argue, and I'm going to go the same direction. Like, if you had five years worth, you could vote for several different own track owners operators promoters like i think ultimately eventually without question you would get bill bader in here you would get dick moroso in here you would get the ledford family up in michigan ron leak probably at byron and the list goes on but if you're talking about that inaugural inductee that first ballot hall of famer i, I agree i don't th- i can't go anywhere else george howard would be my, would get my vote as well Yeah, I I think that we'll see a lot of George Howards as our listeners chime in. And again, guys, please do follow the format. Let us know who you think, because this is just a a discussion, nothing more, nothing less. And we definitely want to hear your opinion. So, Luke, the next category, we're going to induct one media member. 
uh, obviously has a lot of people that are potential in this category as well, and I'm interested to see who you went with. Yeah, this one's a little bit tougher because you same deal. You could go in a lot of different directions. You could go honestly. A name that just popped into my head, and obviously we haven't we we, we didn't discuss this beforehand as to who our picks were. Like Bob Fry is a really good pick. Like a, a and then some of the writers at National Direction, where you took Phil Burgess or Kevin McKenna, Bobby Bennett, who started CompetitionPlus.com, and I realize that they cover all forms of racing, but has been really instrumental in in sports and racing over the course of the years, and started a internet publication that like at a time when nobody thought that you could put anything factual on the internet. You know what I mean? Like re- revolutionize the industry. You can make an argument there. You, Johnny D, the friend of the podcast, like I think you make an argument for John. I, sure. Do you remember, Big Jed, the original Bracket Racing USA and Dale Wilson? This is unbelievable. Okay. Do, so Dale, out of all the media members, you and I picked the same guy. No, no, no I'm not going there. I'm just saying he deserves okay. mention because he did so much for the sport. And if that's your pick, like that, that, that's awesome. For me, and this may just be a little bit sentimental on my part because he was so influential in my career specifically, but you talk about transforming the way that our niche in the sport, sports and drag racing, is covered. I can't think of anyone in my lifetime that did that more than Danny Sons, uh, the original proprietor of DragRacerResults.com. Oh, so wow. I, I'll go with Danny as my original media member uh, inductee into the Hall of Fame. Very good choice. Yeah, uh, again, a guy that really changed our sport with uh, the the website and all the things he did for it. So uh, very good choice there. Obviously, I've let the cat out of the bag because I thought that's the route you were headed down. But <laughs> for me, it was Dale Wilson. I mean, a guy that just completely 100% dedicated himself to highlighting people that do the kind of racing I do. And, you know, yeah, that's Homer, but I know there's many, many people that have contributed from a media standpoint to make racing great and promoted it at a very high level. But Dale just gave everything he had to to make it happen, spent a lot of his own money uh, trying to do it and make publications that uh, would get enough following to keep him moving forward. So for me, it's Dale. Again, both of the, the guys that so far that, that I've picked uh, have uh, passed on but definitely have not been forgotten. Yeah, so, no, I remember being a Bracket Racing USA subscriber, like, from the time that I could read, I think. Like, I, I, I guarantee you, at eight years old, I was getting that magazine. So, yeah, it hits home for me, too. So, next category up, Luke, is, well, let me make sure, let me follow the format as you have it. I, I have it on my list as the legend, but we actually move into member of the uh, automotive aftermarket industry. Yeah, this was a late edition, like, as in a couple hours ago. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> so somebody in the aftermarket industry that has helped influence racing and, and turn it into what we see today. Which route did you go here? Same deal. You could go a lot of different directions, and this one's freshest for us. Like we literally discussed this in our what is that, Jed? Our production meeting. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, I sorry, Ricky. Group test. Group uh, text this morning. And just the stuff that came to mind, like I, I thought, like I mentioned earlier, of racers basically that that created or perfected a product for our form of racing, and then went into business with it. Modern day, like you think of somebody like John Kyle, but 
ICAM, you know, that I don't know. Uh, the, the argument kind of rages there is like who invented the delay box, but Ike was one of the first pri- proprietors with digital delay and was a racer himself, went into business, obviously hugely successful at that same time frame. Dennis Reed was doing the same thing at Deadenberg. Deadenberg has done a lot for uh, the racing industry. And then you could, you could go a number of different directions. George Rupert, you know, I mean, like, uh, was one of the first and certainly one of the most successful carburetor modifiers and, and made a successful business out of it that gave back a lot to our sport. I'm trying to think, I had some other, Sam Biondo, you know, same type of idea. But if you're forcing me to pick one, like the one that just jumps out to me, not so much. I mean, they've done things, I, I guess, in a lot of ways, Jegs revolutionized the model for retailing and made it possible for those of us who didn't live in an, in an area close to a, a speed shop retail outlet to get parts for a race car in, in decent time. You know what I mean? So that did a lot for a lot of different people. But I think yeah. the reason that I would pick Jed Coughlin Sr. here is more for what that company has done for our sport in terms of giving back, like even to this day and probably for the last two decades, I can't think of a single company that has been more involved in various forms of sportsman drag racing and supporting it than Jags. So for that reason, I think I'd put Jake Hoffman, Jake Hoffman senior in here. Yeah, definitely a great choice. And, and as you said, they haven't just taken, they have given uh, tremendously and, um, you know, put a lot of race cars on the racetrack too. Mm-hmm. supported it in the pits as well, which is the, a rare combination of what they've offered to the sport. And, uh, and Jake Sr. being the patriarch of that family has, um, has definitely led those guys to do that. I went, Luke, with Sam Biondo. And Sam actually, I, I got to talk to him today, and he actually told me that that Ike uh, was should be credited with that first delay box in production. Mm-hmm. Sam is a guy that uh, helped develop the first practice tree in 1974. Started working on delay box ideas in 1975. I started in '84, Luke. I didn't even hear of a delay box until probably '87, '88. So you're talking about the the innovation and the, and the thought to put something like that, start putting something like that together, just to me is absolutely amazing and, and great uh, vision. I first competed in a bracket race in 1966, and if you call Beyondo Racing Products today, and I did, guess who answered the phone? Guess who was the first one to pick it up? 80-year-old Sam Beyondo, still contributing today still running his business and trying to do all he can for the racing industry so mr biondo was my choice yeah that's uh, that his story is so awesome it's been years now but for a real brief period of time i actually authored a, a series on dragrisresults.com called legends i think or something along those lines and i got an opportunity to do pretty in-depth interviews with a handful of guys. Like I think I did one on George Rupert. I did one on Edmund Richardson, but I, I did one on Sam Biondo. And his story is so incredible. Um, not only in, in building a business that up to that point, really, there wasn't much of a model for. You know what I mean? Like what yeah. they do didn't exist when he started that. But to do it at the time of, of raising three children by himself, and for yeah. the for a while there managed a, another job along with it like 
that's unfathomable to me today and to not only do all of it but do an incredible job all the way around like he's got three adult kids that are awesome and a a business that is thriving what now 40 years later like really cool story that that's a good one big jed yeah absolutely again sorry ricky so we'll move on to the (laughs) legend category now luke and I'll I'll give mine first, not not trying to jump in front of you here, but I've had you go first a couple of times, so I feel like it's my turn. But again, Homer, these this guy is somebody that has been very instrumental in helping me and my partner uh, Steve Stites build a brand in the Coburg Racing Promotion Team. A guy that led his employee to say yes when we called and. Somebody that really has contributed at a super high level while somewhat remaining low-key, and that's Bill Taylor, BTE's founder. I'm sure, obviously, you're very familiar with that brand and that gentleman, but being involved in the transmission, it started TCI, then turned that into Bill Taylor Enterprises, Memphis Performance, and certainly the BTE that we all uh, know and love today just led me to to put bill as my legend that needs to to go in the hall of fame um just a awesome awesome man uh, obviously has passed on but still leaves behind a, a very successful business and a business model that i know he was very influential in uh, the way his people handle their business and still uh, that company still continues to support our sport at a very high level and i know bill was a guy that wanted to do that. He 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 loved helping as much as he could. So Bill Taylor is my guy. Yeah, hard to argue with that. It's a great pick. When I thought about Legend, I thought along the lines of some of the the pioneers of big dollar bracket racing. Some of the guys that, for the most part, like I've never had the opportunity to meet, but read about a lot and have heard the stories. And you could go down a long list here, but like the Bob Maxies to what to Nick Iarusi to Oh, like, uh, I don't even know if this qualifies because I think Mark still races some. Mark Seymour, like, I, I think that excludes him from the legend conversation if he's still active, right? But and maybe, I don't know why this racer is always held in such high regard for me personally, because I know so little about him. But just having the reference from David Rampey and having the input and he told us on the show how much Don Young meant to his racing career and the how dominant he was at the time that his life was taken and the way that it was taken I don't know that just always sticks with me I, I, I my temptation here would be to say that Don Young would be my inductee as the as the legend yeah I asked somebody today who they would put in a legend category just trying to get you know a little feedback and don young was the first guy mentioned great choice obviously i didn't know don either but we've heard the story david rampy got to tell it a little bit on the the podcast recently and i don't know that is definitely legendary uh, status that what that guy was cut short of doing um he was already a legend but goodness knows what he was going to go on and be if uh, if his life hadn't been cut short so i think that's a very good choice as well all right that so, leaves us with four racers to pick big jade and how do you want to do this you want to go back and forth you want to take all your four years i, once? I think back and forth 
okay, like back okay. and forth. All right. My first three, and these are, again, like, at least for me, current day racers, but that have been doing it for a long time. They're super accomplished. To me, the first three were, were I don't want to say obvious because you could make an argument for a lot of different people, but the, to me, the first three were easy. I really struggled with the fourth. So the three for me that, that stand out that, guys, I've just always sat on a pedestal for as long as I can remember and have really never wavered from that. Probably, at least in my mind, like probably the three best racers that I've ever seen or had the business, had the, had the pleasure to watch personally. The first, Scotty Richardson. Very good choice. Um, you know, either of the, the Richardson brothers uh, are going to be part of this discussion for a lot of people. So, again, I, I, I really understand that choice. And Scotty's a guy that changed the way I race. Uh, and race changed the way we all race. Yeah, yeah. So I get that completely. My first guy was somebody that I, I'm fearful that not a lot of people are going to think about, but he was controversial to say the least. But every idea and and every rant that this guy had was for the betterment of our sport. I know where was, you're going. It okay. was never personal. It was always to make the sport better, but yet he had to defend it like it was personal. Very good racer for a long, long time. He has obviously passed in, in the last several years, but Steve Taylor is, uh, is the number one guy on my list to go into the Hall of Fame. That's a good one. I feel like you're going a little bit deeper with this name. What's your second one on the list? Well, my second one is an active racer. Again, it's a homer, but when I look at what he's accomplished and, and I watched him as a kid, as I was a kid, and I still watch him today with amazing talent and the ability to turn on wind lights is David Rampy. I, I just, you know, I, I found myself not wanting to put current racers in, but how do you leave David Rampy out of the Hall of Fame? I mean, if he does it another year or another 20 years, the guy's already a Hall of Famer in my book. So so I had to put Rambo in. Yeah. They, along those same lines, like I mentioned Scotty Richardson earlier, like for me, for as long as I can remember, when I thought of who's the best driver in the country, and we've talked about this before in the podcast, like it was always 1A and 1B. It was Scotty Richardson and Peter Biondo. And I feel a little bit conflicted about nominating Peter to the Hall of Fame because he's definitely the – th- actually, I think he and Scotty are about the same age. Uh, they're the youngest members of my induction class. But like, I yeah. just don't know for, – for my lifetime, nobody stands out behind the wheel like those two. So those, those would be my top two, Scotty and Peter. For my third, again, this I said that the first three were, were a little fairly obvious to me personally. I went with Dan Fletcher just because the story is so cool. And, and he got to share it with us here, friend of the podcast, yeah. podcast bump as to how he originally got into racing for a living and, and was introduced to the sport by his, by his father, like several of us, like myself. And then to just kind of take that leap of faith and like, I'm leaving New York and going on the Western swing and um, the rest is history. He wins three, all sweeps the Western swing in Superstock, unheard of. And that catapults a career that now has, what, 103 national event victories, I think two or three world championships. Like if it can be done in sportsman drag racing and keep in mind, not only is Fletcher one in what is it? Five or six different national event categories. Like he's won a day at Moroso in a dragster. Like he's done everything yeah. you can do. So uh, Fletcher is my, is my third. Excellent choice. And anybody that would argue 
against Peter or Fletcher. Obviously, Scotty was your first one. Is uh, definitely doesn't know our sport very well. So, I think you put up some great choices that would be impossible to argue against. I went a little different direction with my third choice, and his story is about the coolest thing ever to me. And he's still doing it. This is a current racer, and I know you're going to pick up on this in a hurry, Luke. He's raced the same car since 1958. <laughs> Luke, he's raced now. the same car for 60 years, and he won his first ET finals race in 1977, the first one he went to. He won a race in September at the tender age of 80. And he's 81 now, <laughs> and he still gets out there in the same car he raced since 1958, and that is the legend Ted Seipel. I mean, unbelievable. That story's unbelievable, Luke. Ted was another one that I got to feature in that legend series years ago, and just having the opportunity to talk to that man for two hours or whatever we did to sit down for that interview was something that I'll never forget. Really cool story and really cool man. Yeah, no, that's a good pick. I like that. Yeah, it's just a, it's an amazing story to me and that he's still out here competing. So our fourth and final, and again, I caught myself not necessarily trying to outdo you here, but I wanted to try to go routes that I didn't think you would take mm -hmm. because I think it's it just keeps things interesting. My fourth and final choice is a guy that has accomplished something, accomplished a lot of things with a disability that I could not imagine. If this happened to me, there's no way I would persevere and continue to go to the racetrack. And if I did, I certainly wouldn't do it at the level that this gentleman has done it at for as long as he did it. He has since given up his racing efforts, but Chip Horton out of kind of southeast Georgia. Jessup, right? Jessup, that's right. For those that don't know Chip Horton's story, you need to look him up. Chip Horton has won so many championships, I couldn't begin to count them all. Races, titles, whatever. And Chip Horton has done it with one leg. He foot breaks. Right, that's the, the key part here. He's, he's done all of this foot breaking. He is the, I wouldn't say the only, I wouldn't want to offend somebody, but he's the only real foot breaker I've ever known because he's doing it with one foot. And he's wore me out, and I've seen him wear a bunch of people out. The man comes up on the converter with his foot on the brake and the gas and races at a very high level or did race at a very high level and has won so much. Again, I couldn't imagine ever accomplishing all that in my years and the amount of races. I think he's won over a thousand races or something. It's truly incredible and a guy that I think deserves a Hall of Fame vote. Those are really good picks, Jed. You went beyond your normal like level of research here. You got, you got way deeper. Like Steve Taylor and Chip Horton never crossed my mind, and they're both very deserving. Very cool. Good insight. I mentioned earlier that my first three racer picks were, were kind of obvious to me, at least. The fourth one where I really struggled because I could make an argument for a lot of guys that I think, uh, again, ultimately, you know, like five years into this Hall of Fame deal, they'd all be in. Certainly, without question. But having to narrow that to one, like I thought about Edmund Richardson and what he's done for so long, it's hard to exclude him. I thought about Rampy, like you had talked about. I even thought, and I think that they're certainly Gary is even younger than than Peter Troy, maybe about his age. Like I thought about the Williams brothers for like in terms of big dollar bracket racing. I don't think it, there's been a more 
consistent winner winner in the big dollar bracket circles for the last two decades than Troy Williams Jr. And there's never been anybody that performed better on the biggest stages than Gary. So, uh, again, like it's hard to exclude any of those guys. If I had to pick one, though, ultimately, 17 world championships can't be. I actually just looked this up because I was like, I wonder if I can Google for the show like and make sure. Because I think Anthony Bertozzi has won 16 IHRA world championships and one NHRA. But at some point, like they all kind of run together. Like I could definitely have that number wrong. And I just realized Anthony Bertozzi has his own Wikipedia page. <laughs> there are not many sportsman drag racers with their own, like you type in and Anthony Bertozzi comes up on Wikipedia and it talks about him as a 17-time world champion. That alone is Hall of Fame material. Yes, but no, no doubt. Anthony, we talked about him earlier in the show for getting a win just last weekend. Superstock modified in the IHRA days. I believe he got a championship or two in top dragster as well in IHRA. Added one on the NHRA side and Superstock has won events in just about every category you could imagine. Same deal has done it bracket racing, did it bracket racing before he ever started the IHRA deal back in the day. Has won Moroso, has won Bradenton. I mean, the dude can do it all. And uh, if you just look over the course of a career, I, I don't know that anybody really measures up in terms of if you're comparing accomplishments. And so for that reason alone and just the respect that I have for him, uh, I think I'd include Anthony in this list. Yeah, great choice. And, you know, I can remember the IHRA years where he was so dominant and, and again, still a dominant racer. But I can remember it being news when Anthony didn't win the championship. It was like. Everybody was shocked and surprised. So, like when he didn't um, win two in one year, yeah, you know, right, yeah, yeah. So, just a guy that everybody um, obviously respects a lot and expects a lot out of him. So, very good choice for your fourth and final inductee. So, again, man, Luke, this was a blast. I enjoyed that conversation a lot. And, yeah, um, I could I, definitely stand to rehash this. We bounced around a couple of ideas for racing, quote-unquote, historians to bring on the show. We want your input. Tell us who would be on your first ballot. Did you try to use the same format that we did, again, to rehash. We had a track owner, operator, or promoter. We had a member of the media. We had a member of the automotive aftermarket industry. We had one legend, and we had four racers uh, of some form past or present so let us know your thoughts and i think uh, I, I feel confident sanjay we'll revisit this and it'll probably be more than just us uh on the podcast maybe yeah. next week, but certainly in a future episode where we go all over some of the names that we missed and <clears throat> get some insights other than our own so I, I i agree this is fun yeah it was a blast and and certainly wasn't meant to exclude anyone so you know as luke likes to say don't at us don't uh, don't tell us we left so and so out or this and that this is just our opinion and we are wide open for who you think should be on the ballot as well or inducted so let us know reach out to us there on facebook or go ahead and add us at twitter and uh, and tell us what you think i'm i'm looking forward to seeing maybe somebody that i forgot or that uh, I wasn't aware of their contribution to the sport. I'm sure there's some of those out there. So looking forward to the listeners chiming in on this one. Should be awesome. Yeah, absolutely. I think, Jed, unless you got anything else to add, that will wrap up what is this, episode 66 of the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast. Thanks to our sponsors, as always, Seabird Performance, AHRA, 
IHRA, Portetry, and this is Bracket Racing Elite. And thank you, Jed, for, uh, again, kind of taking up for me last week and uh, and being the awesome co-host that you are. I have a feeling earlier that you were buttering me up a little bit. Like, I, I feel like you're between buttering me up and me obviously owing you a favor. Like I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop and be like, Luke, this was fun. I'm taking the next month off or something like that. So I I guess that that's due, but uh, please don't do that to me. Luke, I've listened to a show or two and you're doing me a favor by letting me stay here. So uh, you don't owe me a thing. It is great to have you back. Enjoyed it a lot. I do want to point out that that last little wrap up was in red. So uh, don't do that anymore. Uh, That was for me. That's not for you. The red is me, blue is you. So let's get straight on that, and uh, I'll take care of those red ones from now on. I'm going to turn mute on right now, big dude. You take us us home, buddy. Well, listeners, we want you to tell us what you think. As uh, as we talked about our Hall of Fame discussion, please chime in. We want to hear it. We want to see it. Uh, Let us know on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast Facebook page, or you can at us on Twitter. Uh, Luke is at... Luke Bogacki, B-O-G-A-C-K-I, and I am at JP11X. We look forward to hearing from you. It's been a great show. Welcome back to my Padna, and uh, we look forward to talking to you guys again next week. Banging on the door, bump, bump, bump until I get it in. Attitude like I am already winning it. Foot breaking in anything. Bottom bobbing for a 10. I'm rolling in the cutty, switching feet like Jerry Seabird Performance, who's hot? Seabird Performance, boy. You're... See, you started talking about your dinner, man. You got me all mixed up. I just blew that right off the bat. Enrollment in This Is Bracket Racing Elite is now open. You've heard me discuss, or at least reference, This Is Bracket Racing Elite. It is the premier offering of our website, thisisbracketracing.com. Elite is a membership community designed specifically to help you get from where you are today as a racer to who you want to be as a racer, led by knowledgeable professionals. Justin Lamb and myself are longtime instructors, and we bring in a host of guests, racers that you know, racers that you respect, led by knowledgeable instructors and surrounded by supportive peers that are ultimately striving for the same goal in their own unique way. The truth is, at each event, there are 100 plus entries, there's one winner. At the end of each season, there's one champion. That feeling, not so much the money, not so much the trophy, that feeling of achievement, that sense of accomplishment, that tip of the cap from your peers, that's why we do this. You can dream of that feeling all you want, or you can take action take steps toward becoming that racer. If you're ready to take the first step, this is Bracket Racing Elite is for you. Enrollment is open now for a limited time. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite before we close the doors again on December the 8th.